This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 203. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I'm here with my favorite Jewish substitute co-host right now, Mr. Mark Eckert. Hey, dude, how are you doing? Hello. Hey, um, before we kind of get into any of this really funny, I'm going to embarrass Brian for a second. We spent like a good solid while troubleshooting your headphone situation because he was just so determined to not wear over-the-ear headphones because he was looking like Princess Leia. <laughs> I was really excited to have like a Star Wars themed episode. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, I've had these same cheap, just garbage $20 like earbud headphones that plug into my thing. But like I was having an issue with my headphone jack on my main thing. I don't want to get into audio talk here, but it's just a short cable. So it like pulls at my ear if you're watching this on YouTube. It's kind of annoying, but I did. I literally look like Princess Leia. You know what? I'll put them on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This is for our YouTube audience. If I put this over my ears, look how bad this looks, man. This is awful. Brian. I am your father. I've never worn over the head earphones in any episode of all time. So that would have been a first. It looked great. I, I wish I wish you still wore it and we didn't troubleshoot any of this because then I could have just, you know, rags on you the whole fucking time. That would have been great. I'm going to change the subject because our audience doesn't care about. Speaking of Star Wars. <laughs> Speaking of Star Wars, we're on our client acquisition series, which has nothing to do with client acquisition. Today, we've got a really good episode planned out, at least. We'll see how it actually comes out. I, I don't know if it's going to be a good episode yet, listeners, because we haven't made it yet, but I, I promise you we're going to try our best. We have a really good topic planned here from really good sources. Actually, you and I both, Mark, have read the book called $100 Million Offers by Alex Hermosi. You've read it, right? Oh, yeah. It's fucking awesome. It's amazing. It's an amazing book. Like it is. It's such an interesting guy. He's not everyone's taste. I'll say that. He has an acquired taste for some people. I, I like his approach to business. But I wholeheartedly recommend that book to any of our listeners, $100 million offers. And the reason being is as freelancers, as creatives, as anyone offering any sort of service, honestly, if we don't have a good offer, meaning the thing we are offering to people, if that's not the best it can possibly be, then we're missing out on so many sales, so many clients, so much potential work. Like everything as a freelancer hinges on our offer, which is like marketing jargon. Offer is like a very marketing focused term. I don't really like it, but it really does tie into to creatives because we are offering some sort of creative service to other people or product in some cases, because we do have e-commerce people listen to this podcast. But the $100 million offers book is, I think the tagline is something like how to make an offer so good, people feel stupid saying no. If you were to look at your business right now, like it's likely that is not the case. People, people would not feel stupid saying no to you because there's 10 other people that could go hire to do the exact same thing the exact same way, if not better. So that book is our, our like, Six-figure creative salute recommendation. Go buy that book right now. Alex Ramosi doesn't care that we exist, so we're not getting any kickback for this. The book's like 99 cents. He's not going to get a sale from us anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, actually, I bought the like $20 hardcover copy because I want the actual hardcover. It's like, it's like a textbook size. It's huge. It's thin. There's a lot of animations and like little doodles and stuff in it to really get the points home. But actually, the, the topic for today is from that book. And the reason I wanted to talk up this topic is because although your offer is a huge part of client acquisition, amazingly, like it is probably the hinge of it. Maybe we'll talk about that on our next episode in the series, Mark, is we'll just have a whole episode about your offer. But once you get beyond that, 
getting awareness for your offer is a huge part. We've talked about this a little bit in the past here and there. Last episode in the series, we actually talked about attracting people to you, being attractive to your ideal client. The one before that in the series, we talked about actually closing clients, which is a huge part of client acquisition is sales. This is more of the, how do we get eyeballs on us to know that we exist. And in the book, $100 million offers, he actually gives six client sources. We thought of one extra one that's not in here, which is networking that he didn't really have in there, but that's because he only does things that are scalable. (laughs) And as freelancers, we don't always have to do things that are scalable. So yeah, I also think sometimes like in more creative industries, a lot of times you work with your friends, which, you know, if you're in a different industry, you know, a lot of times you're kind of just working with complete random people and you don't end up becoming like best buds. And that's, I would kind of think that a little bit. That's why networking is usually a big deal. Yeah. So we're going to talk through maybe not all six of these client sources. Actually, the better way of looking at it is six ways to create awareness for yourself. Like how do you become known from unknown to known? We'll at least let you know what these six are, but we're going to kind of, we're actually going to talk through our thoughts on a few of these at least, because I don't actually, if I'm looking at the six right now, one, two, three, four, four and a half, like four I've really focused on and made at least a hundred grand on each of these four in my lifetime, if not multiple six figures, maybe, maybe even seven figures on one of these alone. But I've made at least a hundred grand off of four of these six sources. One of those client referrals being hard to track. So there's probably more on that than I could actually track. But let's talk through these six really quick and then we'll dive into these. Mark, just just talk through the six really quick just so people have a rundown of what some of the things we'll be talking about today. Okay, cool. So we're gonna go through all six and this is from highest cost to lowest cost to make any of this happen. So The first is paid media. The second is outbound. The third is earned media. The fourth is partners. The fifth is owned media. And the sixth is client referrals. Yeah. And if all of that sounded confusing to you, other than what paid media is and client referrals, those are probably the only two that most people even understand how that would work as a freelancer. We're going to talk through these. Where do you want to start with this, Mark? I feel like paid media is where I want to go because I've spent so much on paid ads and our audience it's probably the least likely to to do this. So I don't know if we should go there first. I don't want to like bounce around too much, but we always talk about, you know, posting organic content. So why don't we start with earned media? Because that's actually really inspired a lot of my paid media lately. Yeah, let's start there. Okay, so earned media, for those who don't know, earned media is essentially media that you've earned, eyeballs that you've earned. It's You've created some sort of content. It's usually content marketing. You've created something that is so valuable that it draws people to you. So content marketing, this podcast is a form of earned media. Posting on social media is a form of earned media because you're getting people to follow you and engage with your content. A YouTube channel is a form of earned media. Uh, blog is a form of earned media. SEO is earned media. All of it is depending on what your talent levels are, depending on where your skill set is, depending on what you prefer as a human being, some of these may be more viable for you than others. Like for example, I don't, I don't play the earn, I don't play the social media game. Like that's not a thing that I play. I do pay a person to do our TikTok. That's, but that's the extent of our social media strategy. But I do heavily invest into podcasting because I can talk. (laughs) I I can talk. I have no problem talking. I'll talk all day long. Talk, 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 talk but not everyone is that way. So you've got to find which one it is that actually works well for you. So for, for you, Mark, it's been a big thing for you. It's been social media. And I think our audience, most freelancers, that's probably the first taste of earned media they'll ever have is, is social media. Yeah. So earned media is kind of interesting because everybody just talks about social media and everybody just thinks it's your channels, right? Like that's basically it, or it's a blog or whatever, but it can come in a lot of different forms. For instance, what I'm doing right now for you know my personal stuff and that pitch is uh, we're posting on Instagram Reels every single day. Basically, the reason why we do that is 
frankly, that's where a lot of our audience lives. And that's just the platform that I really understand. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Funny story is I made a TikTok like two years ago and I, I posted like some random production video. This little kid just posts, okay, boomer. And I was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Which is so funny because like, if you'd been on two years ago and continued on and just posted the stuff you're posting on Instagram reels, you'd have like so many more followers and like such a bigger following, but you let that little kid who called you a boomer ruin your social media experience. Oh, it was dumb. It was dumb. Yeah, no, no, no. Like I definitely look back and I'm like, I was dumb, but whatever. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> you learn. I'm looking from our audience perspective because some people, they avoid earned media because they don't want to be judged. So you little like little outgoing Mark, who's not afraid of anything, went on TikTok, posted one thing, got called a boomer and then ran off with his tail between his legs. Think about people listening right now. Like, how do we get past the fear of getting rejected by a complete stranger on the internet like that? Yeah. So it was kind of funny. Now I really don't give a shit. Like I'm posting every single day and I'd say like every single post has like at least a couple what you would call haters. I just like genuinely don't give a shit anymore. It's kind of funny. I think people like really get upset with it, but I think what it really came down to is two years ago when I was posting a lot of that stuff, just being a little bit vulnerable here, bro. I was less confident with my product, like what my offer was. And now I really know exactly what we're doing, like what I'm doing. And I'm very confident with the value that we can give. So I think that's why I really don't care. Cause if anybody says anything, I'm like, We've paid out a million dollars to producers. Like, fine, shit talk to me. It's like, whatever. <laughs> well, actually, this is, this goes back to that book recommendation we had at the top of the episode where we talked about $100 million offers. One of the coolest things about creating an offer that people feel stupid saying no to is that you gain confidence in that. You realize that like you can actually add value to people and you, at this point, have not been doing all you possibly could be doing to add as much value as possible. And I think that book does a really good job of helping you come up with the tools and, and ideas you need to create something that is more valuable to your ideal client so that you can show your best face to the public because you have so much confidence in yourself. That's why, I mean, the offer trickles down to everything, man. It's definitely that. I think also... I think it's just normal to, you know, be a little bit nervous being in front of everybody that you don't really know. Like, I don't really care about like public speaking or like I've always, you know, played in bands. So I don't really care about performing. But for some reason, I, I kind of just gave a little bit more of a shit because I don't I actually really don't know, dude. Like, I think it just came down to the offer. But once I just started posting a bunch, like it just like didn't matter because I knew exactly what I was doing. And again, yeah, you're right. It came down to the offer. But once you just continuously do it, it's just you start not caring. It's fine. It's fun. It helps out some people. You're good. So now I post every single day on Instagram Reels and then we repost on TikTok and YouTube Shorts. And we're going to start getting into long form content, you know, podcast, YouTube sort of stuff. It's actually it's interesting you said that back in episode 201 with Peggy Dean, which the episode's called How Creatives Can Shamelessly and Tastefully Self-Promote. I shared a story on there. The first time I ever attempted to do earned media was on Facebook lives, which is actually the most terrifying thing possible. I was so nervous and I was using a, a tool called OBS. You can go back and listen to the episode. <laughs> and there was like so much dead space at the beginning because I didn't realize it was streaming live before it actually went live. Anyways, all that to say, I was terrified the first time I did it. And I just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. And now like going live on any platform, it doesn't bug me anymore. I'm, I'm immune to it. So that's what comes with repetition is the words mean less to us. Someone could go online and hate me right now and say like, Brian doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He's stupid. And I'd be like, you know what? That's your opinion. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing what I do. And just to kind of finish that thought off, there's a, a quote that's actually hanging on my wife's wall in her office behind me is if you want to avoid criticism, then say nothing and do nothing. 
That's basically it. That's the only way to avoid criticism. Something that happened, which was really interesting. Okay, so here's an, a big thing with earned media is I don't think it's like this anymore, but years ago in the music industry, if you were posting stuff that was like helping people or whatever, and it was kind of like earlier stuff, it's like we didn't really have, like you and I didn't really have other people kind of doing this sort of stuff. We would look at like HubSpot or read old advertising books. There was no nuanced understanding for us to do this tastefully, if that makes any sense. There was a lot of like, you know, big billboard ads sort of thing. And it's like, how do we turn that into how we want to come across? I remember like years ago, I was posting very regularly and somebody reached out to me and he was basically like, you know, the industry is essentially never going to fuck with you because you come across too accessible. You're too nice, blah, blah, blah. And like, it didn't really make any sense at the time because like he wasn't even self-employed. I didn't take any of that criticism, but it's like, I look back, that same person reached out to me years later and was like asking for advice, you know? So I I think the thing is you kind of just have to stay with the process and like, don't be scared to help everybody and just, you know, serve your crew. You don't have to be the biggest. You just have to have a crew. My mind goes to the thousand true fans by Kevin Kelly that like at this point, internet history's like most famous referenced blog post probably in the self-help world, personal development world. Yeah, we don't have to have massive followings. We just have to have loyal followings of some sort. And as creatives, as freelancers specifically, like it matters even less that we have large followings, but we have to be consistent with it. And that's actually one of the hardest parts about earned media is it's a long game. It is very much planting crops. And it never goes away. Yeah. They take a lot of time to tend the fields, to like nurture them, to fertilize them, to like, to, to pull out the weeds, you know, like there's a lot of metaphors that go along with earned media but it is, it's a long game. And like, man, we're, this is episode like 202 of our podcast or something. I don't know. Yeah. 203 actually. I still don't know your name. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's been a long time. Like this has been a lot of work. Like this has been a ton of work, but it's been totally worth it. That's the thing is it's like, you have to be consistent and persistent and add value for, over the long term to do earn media. And that's, that's just as true on social media as it is on uh, a podcast, as it is on a YouTube channel or any other medium that you're trying to build an earned media following on, it's a long game. And if you don't have the patience for it, don't even start the journey. (laughs) Here's the interesting bit is if you are first starting your business and you are like scavenging, like you just really need to get a sale for something. The reason why a lot of people cut out on earned media and they will just go to ads immediately or something like that is because it's not working quick enough. But it compounds. And once it starts compounding, not only do you get more sales from organic, from earned media, but also your paid ads become cheaper as well. I wanted to go to paid media next because like to me, paid media doesn't work without an earned media to back it up. So we need to talk about that. But before we get into that, I do want to mention that the the compounding effect that you're talking about is really true on podcasts. Like we probably average around a hundred downloads a month on our long backlog of episodes. So that just means like 200 episodes in our backlog, obviously the more recent ones get a lot more per month because they're more recent, but like something from like episode 100 probably gets 100 episodes or 100 downloads this month, but that's for that's for 200 episodes. So that's 20,000 downloads a month on our podcast just from our backlog, not counting 
the people that are listening to our new stuff week to week to week. So like that stuff compounds because when we have, when we have a thousand episodes, that means that's a hundred thousand dollars a month that I just get passively because I've worked up to it over time. So that is what you mean by the compounding effect. And it's uh, the same on YouTube, although YouTube has a discovery engine that podcasting doesn't really have, except now with podcast, Spotify is attempting to be kind of the discovery engine because they're recommending podcasts to you based on your interest and demographics, which is cool. But it hasn't really moved the needle a ton for many podcasts yet. But YouTube is the place where you can actually be discovered and be recommended on the homepage and, and stuff like that. So social media is the same. TikTok has a discovery engine, but the backlog is kind of dead. I think this was a big lesson that I learned is something timeline based or is it search engine based? So for instance, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, <laughs> remember Twitter? Yeah. You're not going to see a lot of activity on stuff from a year ago. Like did, when was the last time you got a like or a comment on something that was a year ago? That creepy person who's like stalking you and they, they like bomb you or they go back like six years and like, like, 20 photos and you're like, oh, that feels, that feels invasive. Right. So the thing is with Instagram, TikTok, YouTube shorts, Twitter, it's very easy to put out content every single day, but that content is, you know, it's a flash in the pan. Now, long form content, YouTube, podcasts, stuff like that, it's a lot more difficult to make. You know, before we started doing this podcast today, we talked for, you know, a half hour. Half of it was him not being Princess Leia anymore and figuring out audio, <laughs> but the other half was talking about, you know, what the hell should we talk about today? Let's, let's make a good episode. And so it takes a lot more time. We had to schedule this out, but that's why this podcast is really good. So when we put this out, people will listen to this a year from now because it's search engine based. You know, you can look up, you can search in Spotify or Apple you can search on YouTube. Yeah, and we try to make our, our episode titles somewhat keyword friendly. I don't necessarily go after specific keywords each episode, but putting the word client acquisition in every episode in the series will probably help our SEO and tell Google like, hey, we need to show this content for somebody looking for this sort of stuff. Another thing I want to mention before we move on to the next source of clients or traffic or leads or whatever you want to call this is an important concept. Something you that sparked my, my brain, something you said, and apologies if anyone can hear the rain, it's like storming in my house right now. So if you hear weird background noises, it's from that. But here's, here's something that's really important. You pointed out how hard it is to produce this podcast, but we, it's a priority for me every single week to do at least one episode now. And we're trying to get back ahead on everything and like get this thing just humming along. But it's a priority for me. For so many other people, freelancers, I'm looking at you, is content creation, marketing, anything that has to do with actually getting clients is on the back burner. We want to be our little creative selves. We want to go out there and like do the fun stuff, but we avoid all these things that are like are actually what it takes to run a business. That's why the sign behind me says it takes more than passion. Those other things that you don't want to do are what actually move the needle in your business. So if you were going to do earned media, paid media, outbound, anything to get clients, to get traffic, to get awareness for yourself, you have to prioritize that just like it's your, your core business. Because if you don't have clients right now, this stuff matters. If you're, if you're booked up 100% with your perfect client just from referrals, ignore it. Just, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast, or at least not this, this series. Otherwise, this stuff matters and you've got to prioritize it. Kind of to go with prioritization. And I said kind of something like this on a previous episode, but it should never be hunting season. It should just be harvesting season. You should always be planting seeds because when you need to get your crop, or I don't farm, but whatever. You need food. Hey, it's ready for you. Everybody's ready to buy. What typically happens in the freelance world, and when I was 
only producing, this was something that I struggled with early on and everybody has is you kind of play leapfrog. You have a bunch of clients and it's taking up all of your time. You don't do any marketing. And then the projects end and you're like, oh my God, I need more clients. So then you do marketing and then you just post a bunch of stuff and then you get more clients and the cycle continues. And when that happens, you don't have enough money to get a team and you don't have enough time to focus on everything. So it's, it really comes about prioritization and how can I do both of these things at the same time? So at the end of the day, you need to make it simple and be able to kind of document yourself. It shouldn't be fancy. If it's going to be fancy, you can't do it. Simple scales, fancy fails. And, and to add to that, that's why freelancers have the feast or famine cycle is they plant a lot of crops, they eat, they get fat, and while they're eating and getting fat, they're not planting their next, ba- their next crops. So then they're in famine mode, wishing they had food and the cycle continues. So let's move on to the next uh, media type or the next way of getting clients or awareness is really kind of the theme of this episode. That's paid media. Before you turn it off, before you skip this, this is really important. This is an area that so many people either overcomplicate or they don't have the right strategy for. And it's worth at least talking about. And your strategy might be different than mine, Mark. So maybe we can, we can swap notes here. But- I'm huge on what Alex Samozzi talks about in his book or somewhere. I've heard him talk about it a lot. I listen to his podcast as well. It's something called client financed acquisition. This is the key to all ad spend everywhere. And this is what I've done for years and how I've spent profitably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on paid advertising. And this is a wonderful secret that not many people seem to know, but that is if you understand all the pieces of the puzzle for paid advertising, which is a lot. It's beyond the scope of most freelancers, which is why most freelancers struggle with this. You have to be a good copywriter. You have to have a good, preferably a good backlog of content to nurture people long-term. That's why this podcast is so effective for us is like people fall into the world from ads and then they get stuck because they love the content on this podcast and they build a relationship with who's on the show, that kind of stuff. But they have to be good at copywriting, some sort of creative. If you're using Facebook ads or some sort of interruptive advertising, you have to have a good understanding of like what you're doing once you get the lead. So follow up automation, all these things. I'm not going to necessarily cover that, but I want to talk about client finance acquisition because if you can nail all those pieces of the puzzle, this part is amazing. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. So here's how client finance acquisition works. Most people, and I'm not, saying to, I'm not saying to do this straight off the bat, but most people have a credit card. This is it in a nutshell. I have a Chase Inc. 
What is this fucking thing? Let's bring out the cards, bro. Come on, let's go. I have a Chase Inc. business preferred card. On this card, I don't know what the credit limit is. It's, it's something pretty damn high. The wonderful thing about that specific card is it's three points per dollar spent on ads. So that's what's paid for our honeymoon. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So with that credit card, I can spend up to whatever the credit limit is. I don't know what it is. Tens of thousands in a month. And I have the entire month to recoup that ad spend before I have to shell out any of my own actual money. What happens is if you have a really good dial-in funnel that you've tested first, you can start to scale up ad spend in a way that says this. If I spend $1,000 this week on paid ads, what do I make off of that, those leads that I get in those first 30 days? Because I have 30 days to monetize those leads. If I get more than $1,000 back, I've just acquired a customer for free or at a profit and paid off my credit card before I ever get charged. So I actually used the credit card's money to finance client acquisition for my business or my businesses because I have multiple ones at this point. Your, your beautiful dog's behind you, Marks. Uh, what's the dog's name? Marga, she's jumping on the couch. She's a wonderful dog. I just met her today. <laughs> so that's the beauty of client finance acquisition is you are setting your business up in a way that you are getting leads and monetizing those leads in 30 days before you ever have to pay a cent out of pocket. And it's a wonderful thing. And that's, that's all I've ever done. I've never had to pay out of pocket for ads. So like, I'm not actually paying for ads I am using other people's money to bring me clients. That's essentially how it's working. I had to learn this years ago when I first started that pitch. There's a thing called like floating capital or floating funds. It's the same exact thing is, okay, why am I going to use my own debit card when if I pay this down within a month, I don't pay any interest. And if I know that number one, there's enough people that are going to buy and then I have, which will be our next topic, owned media. I have an email automation or something that over 30 days is like, do you want to, you want to do this? You want to do this? Or, Hey, here's an incentive to do this. Please do that. Please. All right. Bye. And so if you, if you can do that within 30 days, you don't spend anything out of pocket and you're really just like borrowing from the bank. You got to do the math. You really got to do the math. Cause I've seen a lot of people try to do this. I used to do this model where I would put clients on subscription. It was like a mid-ticket or high-ticket subscription. You came on our podcast years ago to talk about that, actually. Yeah, it was a great business model, and I still suggest doing it. For anyone who is curious about that episode, to have your clients on a recurring retainer, episode 68, Using Instagram Marketing to Build Recurring Income with Mark Eckert. Yeah, that was my, that was my intro into uh, this just vortex of fame that you've given me. That was back in 2019, actually. February 2019. You know, it's not that long ago. It really isn't. Yeah. But um, I think the the hard thing with paid ads, and I'm guilty of this, like, honestly, dude, like I, it, I got really lucky with an ad that just really fucking took off. It made me a lot of money. I was so fucking scared to edit it at that point or add anything else because I thought I was going to screw it up. Y you sometimes get beginner luck and you're so scared to do anything that once it starts not doing well. You're just like, I don't really know if this is profitable. Or not. That's what happened to me. And so I really had to start learning a lot about ads. And anytime you run ads, you pay to learn. And that can be a very painful thing. You don't know exactly what to do. There's not a course you're taking or you don't have somebody that can kind of give you a little bit of insight. Yeah. So I've joined a few courses and, and programs for that. And I, I'll say the two resources or the main resource for me was perpetual traffic podcast. If you're trying to get into paid advertising, go through like the first 10 episodes of that entire thing and then kind of skip around because some of it's outdated or whatever. But let me back this up because this is an important note also is 
The good thing about paid ads is you're not endlessly churning out content. Think about this. On paid ads, you can have one great ad that's converting at a high level that you could spend, depending on your market size, you could spend hundreds of thousands on without ever having to change out. Oh, we ran the same ad for a year and a half. It was so f***ing profitable. It was crazy. In social media, you can't do that. You have to continually put out content. That's, that's one of the reasons I've never done social media is I know that I can spend one good afternoon brainstorming really good ad hooks and creatives and ideas, launch them all and let Facebook determine who the winner is. And then I'm done for a while. <laughs> like I can just let that run and I can tweak if I want to. But once I have a reasonable return on ad spend within 30 days, I move on to other things because there's bigger and better things to work on in my business. So paid media, amazing for those of you who want the ability to just turn on a traffic source and then cut it off when you no longer need it. But the problem is when you cut it off or if you let a, an, an ad creative die out that is no longer working where it just trickles off and is no longer profitable, then your feast or famine mode. You got to go back and to the drawing board and, and launch a new funnel, a new creative, a new offer, something else. I will say this regarding paid media and earned media, because I was building my business off of paid media for a while and I stopped doing earned media. I didn't really post much at all. I was just like, yo, my ad's working. Hell yeah. But what I found is I think the best situation is to do both. And this is why, this is what I've learned recently. You know, you can talk about like how platforms constantly change and blah, blah, blah. But I think at the end of the day, earned media decreases your cost of acquisition because it gives you the ability to build a relation with somebody over time in different ways. Whereas ads, they're really, unless you're just a maniac with ads, you're not going to run a thousand different pieces of content necessarily. And you shouldn't, you know, because you'd waste so much money. But earned media, you can post all these different things. And what I've noticed recently, for me at least, is it's kind of me A-B testing. It's like me testing a bunch of different ads because every ad is essentially an organic piece. And people overcomplicate Facebook ads. All you're doing is you are paying to build your own algorithm. That's it. If you're doing earned media and you're just posting something, the algorithm decides who it's going to get in front of. That's it. But a paid you know, paid ad is you pay for the luxury of telling Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whomever of how you want the algorithm to work for you and how many people you want it to get in front of. That's the power. But you can only do that if you already have something that's kind of working because it all comes down to the ad. Well, here's the other added benefit of paid media that no one talks about. I've never seen anyone talk about this. This is so helpful for me is when I'm running ads, you have something called statistical significance. That means that there are enough eyeballs that have seen this thing and a split test has shown that version A is better than version B. I can so quickly test, I can get thousands or tens of thousands of impressions in days to tell me which one is more attracted to my ideal client. When I know this definitively, I can roll it out through the rest of my business. New headlines on my main landing pages, how I talk about our position, my messaging in some way, shape or form. It speeds up learning so much so that all other areas of your business are more effective now. We've talked about this as freelancers. We may have the most appealing offer in the world, but if we can't explain it to people in a way that's attractive, meaning your messaging is on point, then it doesn't matter how good your offer is. So if we take that to now paid media and we try a bunch of different angles, call it little miniature elevator pitches, and we see which one's the most attractive to people according to a massive scale of testing. Now, anyone I ever talk to, any landing page that I create to warm traffic, I don't have the test anymore. I know that's statistically proven to be the best way to communicate that thing. What I also realized too, and it kind of goes back to the start of the conversation, it all comes back to the offer. 
I have had in the past the biggest issue on how to communicate what my offer was. Not for production necessarily with my freelance clients, but for that pitch and some other things that I've had. And you might run into, like, you don't know how to explain exactly the value you provide. And if you can't explain that, if you can't communicate it, then you're going to have problems. It all stems to the offer. I think, Brian, the reason why you over the vast majority of people that I know are so great at just communicating, this is the one thing it does. Forget everything else you know. This works. It's not the sexiest thing, but it just works. And that's what makes it sexy, you know? And you've just done a really, really good job of like good communication. You used to send me like copywriting courses. I think that's how you knew I was serious is because I was like, I was like five years old at the time, whatever the hell, you know, pre-beard. And you were like, hey, buy this course. It was like one of the first conversations you had. And I think it was like $400. I probably had like $405 in my bank account. And I, I called you and I was like, okay, I bought it. And I think you were like, okay, sick. Okay. That was like me proving to you. It's like, all right, bro. That means I can hit you up again. <laughs> what a people pleaser, dude. <laughs> what a people pleaser. No, it's one of the best courses I ever tried. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off, off topic, but it all comes down to the offer. Here's the problem with this, man. It doesn't all come down to anything. And, I, and if I ever say that, I'm probably overstating it. Like, honestly, all of this stuff plays together. Like paid media, amazing, really hard to make it work if you don't have some sort of earned media, some sort of consensual content. Sure, that's a way of saying it. Continuous content. If you don't have some sort of continuous content coming out over time to nurture people, because like if you listen to our last episode in this client acquisition series, I call it the 3% rule. So this number varies all over the place, but only like one to 3% of people are ready to buy right now. The other chunk, like 15, 20% of people are in consideration phase. And the other 80% aren't in any remote interest to, to buying right now. So that content over time is what keeps people interested in what you have to offer, builds trust, builds credibility until they're ready to buy. So that's why this stuff pays, all comes together. And moving into our third and probably the fat last one we'll talk about, honestly, in this uh, episode, because it's going long today, the third of these six client sources or traffic sources for your, for your business is own media. And this is another area where these all work in a wonderful, wonderful circle or flywheel. Own media is essentially an email list. You heard me talk about it with Peggy Dean a couple episodes back. We talked about her mailing list. She has 75,000 people on her mailing list and it is far and above more valuable to her than her Instagram following. And she actually grew most of that list using another thing on this list, which is partners, which we're not going to get into today. That's beyond the scope of this conversation. Let's talk about own media now because um, this one I'm big on. I've been talking about forever. Like the freelance market is sleeping on this. They're not woke yet, but building a mailing list is all part of this. And this all goes together. Paid media to build the list, earn media to nurture the list, own media to then sell to the list. And when we talk about like, if you're going to have earned media, a podcast, a YouTube channel, if you don't have an, an email list to let that audience know when new content comes out, you can't rely on YouTube subscriptions. You can't rely on the Instagram algorithm. You can't rely on the podcast feed. You have to have an owned media source like a mailing list to control who sees what when they see it. I kind of want to bring this back to a couple episodes ago when we were talking about dating. Imagine going on a date. It went phenomenally well. And then you just never hit them up again. In the relationship, this is getting, this is getting the number. <laughs> you got the number and then you ghosted them. Weird. Just having an email list doesn't really mean anything. You have to use it. And there's a lot of different ways to use it. Like you can have, you can and should have if you're building a mailing list through especially paid ads, but earn media as well. Like 
we have on this podcast, you've probably heard ads from me that I've created pushing you to certain things, whether it's a lead magnet, whether it's a direct to a product that I offer, like our software that we have or whatever. With own media, you can automate a lot of the follow-up, but that doesn't have to be the only way of doing it. You can also do manual follow-up with people because I'll take segments of my email list all the time and manually email them when I have something that I'm like something, especially higher cost, like a freelance service that I can afford to mail out one-to-one where I don't have to have it at scale. Like software companies where you're like paying 20 bucks, 30 bucks a month, whatever. It's hard to do personalized one-to-one outreach. It's just not very profitable. But for services in a freelance world where you're offering something for possibly thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars, you can get off of the automated world onto the manual world. But the own media is the, the way to keep top of mind when you put out content every single week with your podcast or YouTube channel, or you wouldn't email out about your social media content because that's a little weird. But for a blog, you could do something like that though. How big's your list? How much do you bench? <laughs> my bench is really weak, man. Ask me about my squat. That's the, that's the good number. So we just pruned it, which that's a whole other topic. Basically, if people aren't responding, get rid of them. It's less than 10,000. I think it's over 9,000, somewhere in between there. Over 9,000. That was a Dragon Ball Z reference there. It used to be like around 13,000 or so, but sometimes people stop responding and you want to make sure that there's good open rates all the time. Because you don't want Google or Yahoo or whatever the hell people are using to be like, oh, this isn't worth it. Because you always want to show up in priority. If you show up in like social or something like that, people aren't going to open it. If people aren't opening it and then continue not to open it, we built out an email funnel that basically kind of says like, do you still want this essentially? And, And then that happens like four or five times. And if they still don't open it, they're just removed. Yeah. So we do the same thing with our mailing list. And I love how you're like trying to qualify. We're just clean. It's only like 9,000, but like, yeah, but you have like 500 billion, dude. So like, I look like, <laughs> I'm like the young pup, bro. It's fine. Let me give it time. How old are you now? 28. Yeah, I've got almost a decade on you, dude. So when you're 35. Dude, I already have some gray hairs, bro. I'm 28. Let me, let me back this up. Cause like audience listening right now, you don't need, you don't need tens of thousands. You don't even need thousands. With a freelance offer, if you're really targeted at who you're talking to, it is very specific and you hone in on the pain points of what they're struggling with and offer different ways of helping. You give valuable content that builds your credibility and builds trust and and makes them want to give you something because of the reciprocity effect. You don't have to have thousands of people on a mailing list, but no matter how big your list is, you want to do exactly what Mark said there. If they're not opening emails, you can either manually unsubscribe them. Most mailing list things will will have a way to clean lists for people that aren't actively engaged, or you can build out complex convoluted automations, which is probably what Mark did to have like what's called like a uh, resuscitation series where you're trying to get a big chunk of people who haven't opened an email in six months to finally open an email. And if they don't, you actually just remove them from your list. Either way, it's just called list hygiene. You want to have a very active list. You want to wash your list. Wash it. I don't know about you, but like 50% of my email list has opened or clicked on a link in the last 30 days. So it's valuable for me. And also like on when I'm running paid ads, I monetize profitably in 30 days. But more than half of our sales come from the, the 30 day plus period. And this is something I really wish I would have known earlier on, like when the heyday of Facebook marketing, where it was even cheaper to run ads, where if I'd have known these numbers better, I would have spent so much more on ads. Cause like, think about this. Like if you have a vending machine sitting in your, in your apartment lobby or near your house on the corner and you put in a dollar to that vending machine and it spits out $2 to you, what are you going to do next? Are you... <laughs> You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again and again and again until it no longer stops spitting out $2 bills. Because a lot of people think that, you know, if you're a freelancer, it's just like clients and you're just talking about the work or whatever. But I was working with just artists at the time. Now we work with producers too, but like I was just working with artists 
And so I would come out with eBooks like lead magnets of like running your own PR and stuff like that. And what I would do is if they were a client of mine and they paid me, if they were on my list for a certain amount of time, they had like opened a certain amount of stuff. They had, you know, we had done a certain amount of songs or whatever. I actually gave them a free remix and I would pay one of my buddies who's just a great remix producer. And that was like always a bonus. So like people were just constantly stoked and then they would want to work with me more. And this would happen like a year, a year and a half out. Like, so you got to be patient. Something I heard today, Alex Hermosi, he was like talking about the one who can have the longest timeline or something like that. I'm sure you heard like that quote. Basically, the one who can have the longest timeline to success, like the one who can be the most patient. It's like the marshmallow analogy, the kid who waits for one marshmallow or in five minutes, he can get two marshmallows. The one that can wait the longest for two marshmallows typically is going to be the most successful. So basically what you're saying, Mark, if I'm understanding, which is, it was a super interesting study, by the way, the marshmallow study, I can't remember who it was. It was like Harvard or somebody, one of those big Princeton or somebody did a study that gave kids the chance that you could have one marshmallow. Now we'll leave the room. If you don't eat this marshmallow, we'll give you another marshmallow. It's five minutes. And they actually followed these kids for like 20 years afterwards. The kids who actually waited for the person to come back and earn their two marshmallows where I don't know what the, what the metrics were, but they were more successful than the kids who ate their damn marshmallow and didn't wait for the second marshmallow. So using patience, using time as an ally instead of an enemy is a huge part of this. And the email list is, is part of that as well, because let's just pretend you're using paid ads right now. And let's pretend that you're running ads on the front end, client financed acquisition. As a freelancer, like we also have to think through like, obviously we want to be profitable in the first 30 days because we're offering services. And so like we can't spend all of our money on ads or else we make nothing. But on the back end, we got to think of what's a client worth to us lifetime as well. And Good Fortune Media, my podcast agency, a client in the first 30 days may not be worth that much, but on the back end, it's worth a ton because you have somebody paying thousands per month for podcast production services over a year or two that gets into the tens of thousands of dollars. So if you have a mailing list, it allows you to wait and follow up with them for a long amount of time to where they can eventually pay you. And that just picks up all the leads that it's the not low hanging fruit. It's the very high up fruit that takes forever to get to, to get to, I don't know. That's a kind of a shitty analogy, but we're out of steam. The podcast is good. Enjoy it. You got the message. <laughs> yeah. So on the next episode of the, the client acquisition series that we'll schedule after this, Mark, we'll talk about creating an offer that's so good that people feel stupid saying no to you. And if you want to get a head start on that, it's probably going to be a couple of weeks from now because I have some interviews lined up between now and then go buy $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi, which is a crazy story. He had no publisher. He had no advertising, no launch, nothing. And it's like a best-selling book. It's the number one bestseller advertising book on Amazon for 10 months straight. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's because it's a great book. So go buy the book, get a head start. And then we'll talk about how it applies to you as freelancers because Alex Ramosi's got $100 million business. <laughs> so like he's different than us. He's a different, he's a different level than us, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from him. And I, I love, I'm so excited. This is why we shifted from six figure studio to six figure creative is that we get to take these other things from these other industries and bring them to creatives. It's so fun. It's so fun to take like things from industries that make no sense ever coming into the, our world that works so well in our world if we take the time to apply them. And so the next episode of the series, creating your irresistible offer, whatever the hell you want to call it, will be, I think, a treat for people.